This is The Guardian. I'm Faker Rothers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Arsenal end their four-year wait for silverware, beating Chelsea in the Conti Cup final. Jonas Eidevel praises his side's character, while Emma Hayes really wants you to know that it was a very, very long wait. Bunny Shaw and Alessia Russo bag hat-tricks as United and City make it a 1-2 in the table. And does anyone remember Jens Schuer? We'll discuss all that, take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Susie Rack. A trophy! Woohoo! I'm so happy. That's all I have. I'm just very happy. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I went into that game and I was very much expecting defeat and was like, nothing can bring me down after the men's. Nothing can bring me down. Nothing can bring me down. And then I just got lifted up. It was great. Oh, she's up on her cloud. Number nine. <laughs> Delighted. <laughs> Sophie Downey, you're wearing my favourite hat. Did you do that just for me? Uh, no, uh, I wear it all the time, oh. but uh, we'll say it, we'll say it for you. We'll say that. We'll say that. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, Moyo Abiona, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Thank you. It's been a little while, hasn't it? And, uh, in between that little while, there was a, a trophy, a final. And between the two titans of the WSL, arguably, I'm sure insert both Manchester clubs would not particularly like me saying that. Arsenal three, Chelsea one. Chelsea took a second minute lead against Arsenal. And I think all of us immediately just thought, oh, here we go. But it ended up being a deserved win for the Gunners. Three goals in the first half. Chelsea losing their second consecutive Conti Cup final. Let's go properly into it and climb off your your number nine cloud, please, Susie Rack. 2018-19 was the WSL title and the last piece of silverware that Arsenal... You're jigging. Oh, my God, she's dancing. It's Tuesday. <laughs> you won it on Sunday. It's 48 hours. It's been four years, Faye. Four years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> do, do you need four years to keep celebrating in that case? Tell me, bearing in mind it's been four years, how important that win was for Arsenal. Oh, huge. I think, like, the biggest point, less so even, like, getting a trophy, more getting the win against Chelsea in the context of the season that Arsenal having and the run they've been on and all of the narratives of, you know, Beth Mead and Viviana Meadham are not being there, Stina Blackstenius not really taking advantage of the opportunities that she's getting, you know, question marks over whether they can do it without those players, you know, lots of nice play, but not really making the most of it, as we saw in the you know, the game the preceding week, they really needed a win like that, like that kind of manner of win where they were fiery, battling, clinical, you know, obviously the trophy is the cherry on the top and winning breeds winning, like that's generally the way it goes, although it didn't it didn't quite work for Arsenal last time round. But um I think they they just badly, badly needed a performance and a result like that against Chelsea more than anything you know they're not one in five games prior the last win coming in that opening day of the season to Chelsea and Jonas Eideval's first game in charge which you know obviously had the caveats of of it being the first game back and then you know not being very well rested and short turnaround between competitions and that kind of stuff so like there, you know there was all that going on so yeah I think they just badly badly needed a win against Chelsea and the manner of it is going to be huge, I think. 
Yeah, I think the manner of it is what everyone's speaking about, Sophie, really. How impressive was it of Arsenal to turn it around, particularly going a goal down after just two minutes? Yeah, I, th- I think actually um, Leah Williamson alluded to it post-match. Actually conceding that early probably helped them a little bit. It refocused them. You know, if you score just before half-time, you start to panic a bit. But actually when it, it goes in, in the first two minutes... You know you've got time to to figure it out and sort things out and and turn it around. And I think they just got back to business. And I do think Jonas Eidevel outfoxed Emma Hayes, and we don't say that very often, but he spent the week honing his tactics and making sure his players knew exactly where to target. Kim Little had all of the space in the world. And um, yeah, he got one over on her, I think, this time. Yeah, I mean, she pretty much blamed her players, didn't she, for being off the pace, but... You know, she made substitutions, Kadisha Buchanan introduced after 38 minutes. But was she kind of post-match almost admitting that she'd got it wrong, do you think, Soph? Um, I don't know. I was really confused by her comments because I don't think you do blame your players like that. You know, she changed tactics about three or four times in the game. She took Kankovic off on the 35th minute, I think, to bring on Buchanan. She just was not happy with the way that her team was set up. And I, I, I was saying, you know, you can't change your team or your tactics that many times in a game. You're asking for trouble and Arsenal just capitalised. So I think she's talked about complacency. I don't think it was necessarily just the team. Um, I, I think it was all around the club. But yeah, it was complacent, but that's not an excuse. It's, it's um, as a winning club, you have to battle against that complacency, don't you? I thought it's the first time that I've seen her react as if she's really rattled in a post-match in a way that I've not seen before. She's so clever and calculated in what she wants to say in interviews and what the point she wants to get across. And it was slightly more scattergun. She didn't really have one answer or, you know, one like clear excuse that she came out with. There was this, you know, like very clear blaming of the players, which went a little bit far the wrong way. I felt like, you know, you could, there's a way of blaming the players without, blaming the players isn't there uh, quite so directly um then there was the you know the criticism of the time wasting of uh, Manuela Zinsberger which coming from someone who manages Ankatrin Berger who is the absolute king of that tactic it felt slightly bizarre and it just like all of these different different sort of semi excuses just felt a little bit desperate in a way that I've not I've not really seen her seem quite so rattled before Yeah, one of them was, you know, you mentioned complacency there. She basically quite pointedly pointed out how much they'd won in comparison to Arsenal. I mean, is it that simple, Moyo? Arsenal wanted it more. It was another random one. I completely agree with Susie, to be honest. I felt like, you know, like when you're you're in the heat of the moment and your emotions are so high, it felt like everything she was thinking, she just said out loud at that moment, as opposed to thinking, okay, this is how this is going to sound. So let me not say it or let me, let me kind of say it in a way that's more subtle. I feel like she literally said exactly what she was thinking and it was to the detriment of like how she came across. But I also think as well that she went into the game thinking that Chelsea were going to win. I don't think in her head she had planned for what to say post-match because she didn't think post-match she'd be talking about a loss. And I feel like that changed so much. But I also think there may have been an element in which her energy of, I feel like we're going to win, probably radiated onto the players. So I guess there could be complacency on both her end and the players. And if she feels like the players were complacent, 
I feel like that could only have come from her. And I guess that's where she needs to take ownership for it. But I feel like Arsenal as well felt like they were going into the game completely as the underdogs. I feel like sometimes when they go into finals, they feel as though, yeah, we've got a really good chance here. But this is probably the first time that pretty much everyone else was saying Chelsea have won this. And I feel like it's helped as well that they've played Chelsea so recently because they could fix the things that they didn't do well in the last game. But I feel like Arsenal went into this completely underdogs with nothing to lose. And it sort of gave them the freedom to express themselves. I feel like the pressure felt off of the players that were there. So like people like Stina, people like the midfielders, like Kim Little, I felt like had a really good game as well. I feel like the midfielders showed their true quality because the pressure wasn't so much on them. And Chelsea just couldn't really respond. Yeah, let's talk about Kim Little, Susie, because she deservedly picked up the Player of the Match awards. I think actually there were a couple of players that, that were in for a shout for it, to be honest. But Jonas Seidevel said it was her best performance under him. How key was she to what Arsenal managed to do to Chelsea on Sunday? Oh, she, I mean, she was unbelievable. You know, she's absolutely in control. I mean, I was watching some of the highlights uh, earlier this morning just to remind myself and like the way she just sort of shrugs off Erin Cuthbert who is like it's Erin Cuthbert right (laughs) one of the most battling players in the league like real kind of like terrier like fighter and she's just holding her away from the ball just shielding it so calmly like so 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 relaxed on the ball and there's a there's a great little um like Matt doing the rounds on Twitter of the pass networks between the players. Um, and at the heart of Arsenal is, is Kim delivering to pretty much every single player on the pitch. And it's so stark how integral she is to this um, Arsenal side. I Like every time I watch her now, ever since she obviously retired from international football, uh, which was, you know, not quite two years ago, I fear for an Arsenal without Kim Little. Like she's so, so critical to the way they play and like I don't think it's possible to get another player like her I don't think there'll be another Kim Little so like what do you do when she at 32 eventually decides to retire but I mean on the basis of that performance could you see her ever retiring you know can she go on forever (laughs) can we have we got time to find a way to clone Kim Little before she retires that is like I, I think that that is the question that that science needs to answer before anything else (laughs) <laughs> your Twitter handle Moyo is Moyo's Laboratory <laughs> send it to Moyo's Laboratory <laughs> it's me it's me I'll, I'll take over the reins thank you thank you you are doing the Lord's work <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about Lauren James actually Moyo because I felt as if she really struggled in in this match she was brilliantly marked by Leah Volti but almost tried to do too much herself I, I saw a moment with one of Emma Hayes coaching staff coming over and giving her instructions and we've heard Emma Hayes talk about her defensive you know frailties if you like I I feel like that's a harsh word to use but you know she's talked about defensively her needing to do her job a little bit better she's still only 21 and it's so easy to forget that she's such a mature player on the pitch but it does show that there's still further to go when it comes to her development maybe. To be honest, I don't feel like Lauren James had an awful game. I do feel like she was still a threat, but obviously she wasn't, it wasn't as effective in terms of it actually coming off. I still feel like she was trying a lot of stuff, which was good. And I feel like that would have been encouraging to Chelsea and Chelsea fans as well. Um, But I feel like the bit she was lacking on was that sometimes she was going into dead ends. So like, for example, there was a point that Arsenal started like 
doubling up, but also being intentional, being on the front foot when defending against her. Because I feel like oftentimes people step off because they don't want her to just breeze past them. But I feel like the only way to stop someone like Lauren James is to actually be on the front foot and, and go to her directly. There were points, though, in this final that I felt like she sort of, like, went back to, like, her at United. Because I feel like at United, there were times that, like, we just needed her to make something out of nothing. And so, like, we would just give her the ball. That could be even on the halfway line and just be like, okay, we need something from you here. And I feel like at Chelsea, she doesn't necessarily need to do that. I feel like the level from what she when she was at United is completely different. And I feel like she doesn't need to go into like hero ball type of mode. And I feel like at times, especially in the second half, when Chelsea became more desperate and they felt like the game was slipping away, she also started becoming more desperate. But I guess it's more so like, that's probably the first final she's played in. And I feel like that probably also played a part in the sense that like, she wasn't really sure of how to combat what Arsenal were blocking her with. But it also didn't help that Chelsea themselves didn't really know. So, like, there wasn't someone that could say, okay, we're doing this and could, like, guide her towards what Chelsea wanted to do. It felt like everyone was sort of clueless. And so she also became more clueless as the game went on. Yeah, I don't think she particularly necessarily had, like, a terrible game in and of herself. I think she was just, like, stopped from playing. And, like, Arsenal really targeted that side of the pitch and Chelsea didn't really find the way to back her up, basically. Like, I thought Moritz was brilliant um, on that side, at, like, keeping James really, really deep into her own half, getting her, you know, real, real push, push back. And then Katie McCabe was able to sort of come inwards a little bit and find uh, space and be an extra person sort of more centrally. And it really caused the Chelsea defence real problems. And Lauren James was getting pulled further and further back to try and cope with Moritz. And that's not a job she is good at or used to or, you know, is developed uh, in. Um, So I don't think it was necessarily, yeah, like Moya said, that she had a bad game per se. It was that she was being asked to do something very, very different. Arsenal were really targeting that side and Emma Hayes didn't find a way to solve that and help her out of that problem. Sophie, what impact do you think this game is going to have on uh, both these clubs' seasons? I think it's massive for Arsenal. It was the one that they really needed, right? Everyone's been talking about their form or the lack of um, Beth Mead and Viviana Mindeban, um and how much of a hole that's left. And they just needed something from somewhere. And last week against Chelsea in the FA Cup, they weren't actually that far away. They just did not have that like clinical edge. They were producing chances. So they could have easily got a couple of goals. So I think winning a trophy, winning this game against, as Susie said, against their like, biggest rivals in Chelsea as well, is going to be absolutely huge for them. And I could just see when Stina Blackstenia scored, you could just see the confidence levels rise in them. So that's going to be absolutely key as well because she put in a hell of a performance um, and getting that goal is going to be a massive weight off her back. A big week ahead. Um, they've got, I think, Liverpool tomorrow and um, then Reading at the weekend. So a real chance to pick up points in, in the league. So I think for them, it's a massive springboard. And Kim Little did speak about that before the game. She said, this happened in 2018-19 season. We won the Conti Cup then and then we went on to win the league. It was a massive, you know jumping point from that it gave us all of the confidence to go forward from that point and they will be hoping that that will come good again because they've got big Champions League games as well so it's a big month it's just what they needed for Chelsea I don't really know Chelsea are Chelsea right we know them as the mentality monsters they always seem to bounce back but 
who knows what could happen with another result like that or another defeat like that when you've got an also games back to back they play Brighton tomorrow that you know they should get through that but it's still close games so it's going to be interesting to see how they recover and what Emehias does to kind of keep the morale strong because it's the first time I've really seen Chelsea rattled in terms of like they just don't seem on the same uh, song sheet or whatever so it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point, isn't it? Because we always talk about squad depth and and the importance of that for for Chelsea when they're fighting or were fighting on on all four fronts. But actually, with that comes a little bit of a disjointedness, maybe. But thing is, Moya, I'd quite like to know, especially as a Man United fan. By the way, I cannot believe I did not at the beginning of the pod mention seven nil, seven nil, seven nil. Well, I, I was happy that we is brushed over that quite quickly, to be honest. <laughs> right, I'm a stuck record, 7-0. Seven seven oh, <laughs> when you see Chelsea lose to Arsenal like that, and, and particularly as a, as a Manchester United fan and what you've been doing, as in the women's team this season, it shows the WSL is obviously a lot more open this season and, and than it certainly has been in, in past seasons as well. But because this result and... You know, there's always the caveat, isn't there, that it's the Conti Cup. But it showed that even the teams who seem out of form can still beat the teams who seem unassailable. I don't know how much of that is is the narrative and how much of that is that this season is just really open. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the result on the weekend sort of gives me like confidence, but also takes away confidence as well. Because I feel like out of the City, Arsenal and Chelsea, I always felt like City always looked the most equipped to beat Chelsea. And I always felt like Arsenal were in the rut in the same way that when I, as a United fan, go into games against Chelsea, I always just think, yeah, the game's just written off. Like, it's already, like, Chelsea are going to win this game. And I feel like from that, I got confidence in the sense that, like, Arsenal beat Chelsea. Like, there, is, it's not like you cannot beat Chelsea. And also, teams have been scoring goals against Chelsea this season. Like, we saw Spurs who haven't been good in front of goal, score two goals against Chelsea. So it's not like you can't score against Chelsea right now. They've got frailties in defence, even though they've got individual good defenders. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes when Chelsea get a loss like this, it means that they just turn on like a different mode and now they're not going to lose the game. I feel like sometimes they take the anger from a big loss and then just tunnel vision now and just make sure to just defeat everything that comes in their way. So I'm scared that it's going to go that way, especially with us having a game against them soon. Well, I would say Brighton should be scared first and foremost because they play them on, on Wednesday. But actually, it's, it's a question from Dom Sophie. Will the Conti Cup final defeat harm Chelsea's Champions League and WSL push? Or, as Moyo just suggested, will it have the opposite effect and spur them on to new heights? I think it could go both ways, to be honest. As I, I mentioned before, I do feel there's a little bit more disharmony in, in that Chelsea squad. You know, the whole conversation around Ericsson and Harder as well. It's not what you're used to with Chelsea, really, are you? You're used to having quite a tight squad. There's never really many rumours around players wanting to go or talking about going or thinking about going. Um, so it's, it's new ground for her this season. I think the whole Berger-Musovic thing, I know Berger started the last couple of games, but Musovic had the couple of games before that. That was seemed to be a bit up in the air as well. So it's going to be really interesting how they knuckle down and go forward. I think Brighton, I mean, they should be Brighton, but I do think... With United coming so close at the weekend, that's going to be the real test for them to to recover because United looked really, really good. Again, yes, they were playing Leicester, but Leicester have improved massively and they got the job done. And the United of old would have struggled against Leicester, um, whereas they absolutely, you know, sort of dominated them at the weekend. So 
yeah, it's going to be interesting going forward. In addition to the like Ericsson Harder situation of them possibly leaving in the summer, like you've got the fact that Buchanan has not settled in him perhaps quite the way <laughs> Emma Hayes would have liked and looks to be really, really struggling to like kind of keep pace with the demands of the WSL and what, what, what Chelsea want of her. And so that's created a problem, right? Because who do they play at centre-back? Do they go back to Ericsson, who is you know likely on the way out? Do they keep persevering with Buchanan, who has a big error in her, as we saw, and she was very lucky to get away with in the game against Arsenal? I mean, that was like stonewall penalty all day long. How oh, We haven't even talked about the exactly. officiating, have we? Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> exactly that. Um, how, how that wasn't given, I, I just don't know. It couldn't be more obvious. It was right in the box. Like... Um, she's a liability and so they've got a real difficulty there and I think that's helping contribute to the the sort of various issues around the team that clearly are there at the moment that Sophie mentioned because it's making a problem of something that I, I think you know Emma probably thought she had dealt with in signing Buchanan to you know allow Ericsson to, to move on if she so desires. Just to wrap this up, actually, and it's, it's less of a question, more of a kind of statement, but there is a question in it. It's from Sue. She says, why is everyone so surprised with Arsenal's win? Chelsea not been firing this year, now heavily reliant on Kerr. Defence hasn't been settled. Arsenal did enough in previous games to suggest that this was possible. As a neutral, I went with Arsenal fans and pre-game, we all predicted this. And actually, I think what we've pretty much summed up is exactly that. I don't think it was as much of a surprise, maybe, Sophie, as as, as everybody was predicting. No, I do think a lot has been made of Arsenal, but actually they've been pretty... Take out that game against City. They've been pretty structurally solid. And a lot has been made of a few errors in defence that do just happen, you know. And the fact that Stina has to, had to play a different kind of role in the last few months to what she probably expected to play when you had, like, the likes of Mead and Miedema scoring goals around you. They scored something like, they were involved in something like 66% of their, their goals when they were fit or when they were playing. So, you know, it's been a massive hole to fill, but they haven't looked structurally bad. They've created chances. They have played good football at, at times. It just hasn't just been coming off for them. I'm taking the City game out of that because I think that was just tactically all wrong and that's what I put it down to. So I wasn't that surprised. I, I did think it was kind of coming maybe, that a big performance was coming, whether it was going to come in the Conti Cup final or whether it was going to come in the Champions League, uh, where maybe the pressure was off a little bit more because they're playing Bayern Munich and they probably weren't expected maybe to win it. So it uh, loosens the pressure a bit. But yeah, it's an interesting one. But I do think a lot has been made of Arsenal's deficiencies rather than thinking about the strengths that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for your questions, by the way. We've uh, got a couple more in part two. Sent them to me on Twitter, but... I need to flag to you, we now have our own email address. Uh, so if you have your own email address, uh, you can reach us on Women's Football Weekly at theguardian.com. Uh, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll look at the weekend's WSL action. Thank you. 
Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Uh, so whilst the Conti Cup caught everyone's attention at Selhurst Park over the weekend, the two Manchester clubs kept their heads down and found themselves in first and second place in the table. Alessia Russo scored Manchester United's first WSL hat-trick and a perfect one at that. Uh, they beat Leicester 5-1 uh, Moyo. I didn't mention the 7 nil at the start. Although you have mentioned it a couple of times now. <laughs> it's more than a couple. It's more than a couple. I've, I've shoehorned it in everywhere I possibly can. Uh, but Manchester United women, a 5-1 victory. They were clinical in the end and it felt like a bit of a confidence-boosting win maybe after a few wobbly performances before the international break. No, it was a really good, really good win. We probably could have even had more goals, to be honest. Like, there were a couple of chances that I was thinking, how did we not score that? Um, but I feel like it might be a bit crazy of me to complain when we won 5-1. But yeah, no, I was really happy with the performance, to be honest. I feel like everyone played to a really good level. Like, sometimes you feel like there's, like, major standout moments, but I feel like everyone actually played to a really good level. And the thing I was happiest with, actually, was that the goals that Russo scored... I've always like picked up like, oh, Rusa, she's such a good goal scorer. She's such a good goal scorer. But I've always, the only thing I've been critical on is that I've always felt like she doesn't get enough like scruffy goals, like tap-ins. I feel like that's where you get your numbers up. I always think like there's certain teams that you just need to go and stat pad against. Like Bunny Shaw does it. Rachel Daly's been doing it. And I've been waiting for the moment for Rusa to just unleash goals on the team. And I'm sorry, Lester, that it had to be you, but it had to be somebody. <laughs> but yeah, I was just really happy with the goal she scored. And I feel like outside of the goal she scored, I feel like her all-round game, as always, to be honest, was really good. Her hold-up play was really good. Back to goal was really good. She was linking up so well. She was playing the wingers in. I feel like we kept our whip really well in this game. And I feel like that's when we're best, when we're getting the wingers involved and we're getting our fullbacks involved. But yeah, I'm just starting to see really good combinations and I feel like it's really promising for the games coming up and for the end of the season as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's very exciting at the moment and I've got a question from Jim very shortly on that. But anything Alessia Russo can do, Bunny Shaw can do better. Uh, Her own matching hat-trick to Tottenham uh, in their 3-1 victory. City went behind to Celine Bizet's first Tottenham goal but came back to earn a comfortable win in the end. James has a question, Susie. Are Spurs in the relegation battle? They're only three points above Leicester at this point. Can Rianne Skinner turn this round? I'm really worried for Tottenham. Um, like, really worried. Are you genuinely? <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I mean, you know, objectively speaking, <laughs> I, I'm very worried. I'm very worried for Tottenham, and it's you know, it's good for the game to have them in the league. As much as I dislike them as a club, generally speaking, um, I quite like Rianne Skinner, although I don't think she's necessarily doing the best job at the moment. No, like Leicester have a despite the defeat to Man United, Leicester have a real bit of momentum behind them since Willie Kirk has come in. Like you can tell that he he's getting them organised and they have a plan. The goal they scored was very nice. Um, and, you know, a game against Man United, who are you know, league leaders at the moment, is expected that they're going to lose that game, right? Like that they're, they're not going to walk away from that with heads really, really low necessarily, like the bigger games are to come. And, you know, you look at the, the you know, the fixture list of Leicester, the fixture list of Spurs. Leicester have got like a decent run of games where they can definitely pick up points. Spurs are struggling big time. That three point gap is going to close very, very quickly. Brighton obviously are in between them, but have two games in hand over both sides. So 
obviously we'll go into Brighton's managerial chaos at some point, but you know, I'm less less concerned about them given how badly Spurs are doing at the moment. Yeah, they're they're in real trouble. And at what point do Tottenham say Rianne can do no more here and we really need like a new manager boost, even if it's a temporary one, just to save our skins and keep us up is a big question for them. Like it's hard, it's a difficult point of the season to be making changes, but nothing is quite working for them at the moment. I think the problem for for Spurs is that they tried changing the manager before, right? So I I wonder about the willingness to change it mid-season again. I don't think she's getting the best out of them. I also do think not a lot is said about their injury crisis. The amount of ACLs they've had in that squad is is crazy. I do think that with Beth England in the team and when she's fit, you always have a chance, whereas compared that to Brighton, Brighton are the ones I'm really worried about. Like I think Tottenham are in a fight, but I, I think Brighton are the ones that I'm, I'm most worried about because I was at that game against Villa and... They were just woeful. They just can't defend. And I just can't see where they pick up points from, um, especially with the run of games coming up. So it's, it's going to be between those two and Leicester. I, I think Reading are doing enough to get out of it, especially after the game at the weekend. I think they've got confidence now. Um, for me, it's it's still Brighton, but I, I do get your point, Suze, about the, the problems that Spurs this season. Yeah, we will talk Reading in a second, but let's talk Manchester City because no WSL side, Sophie, has won more points than City since October. And you know what we said at the beginning of the the season on this on this pod. We've kind of gone from people calling for Gareth Taylor's head to seeing them on this upward trajectory. They're second in the table now. Are they actually title challengers? I think so, absolutely. I'm feeling a bit of deja vu this season because... We all wrote them off at the beginning of last season too and then they went on that massive run that got them right back into the Champions League spots and it seems to have happened again um, this season. I think it really helps that they have Bunny Shaw, obviously. The goals that she provides, her instinctive nature in front of goal. You know, the three goals, one was a penalty, but two were completely reactive and she just was more alert than defence around her to put them away and they desperately needed that. I think last season, the fact that she was swapping in and out with Ellen White Ellen White was probably not in the best form of her career either. Um, it was a bit of a struggle. This season, they really have that goal scorer. And you can see, getting on the end of Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kenley's crosses, that's exactly what they needed. Uh, so they're definitely title challengers. They're second now. There's no, I know they've got a couple of what, a game in hand or something like that, but they're definitely up there and in for the fight. And they've got all of the momentum and confidence behind them to try and make that a proper fight. Moyo, Jim sent in a question. He says, the four-way title race is fun, isn't it? Plenty of permutations to consider, rather than just will Arsenal better Chelsea's result or vice versa. Longer term, though, he says, can you see anyone else breaking into the title picture or do less established teams have a glass ceiling? Mm, it's a good question. <laughs> um, it is fun in the sense that, like, it's nice that, like, you don't have to only worry about your results. It's nice that there's, a, like, your eyes have to be on pretty much everything. Like, you even saw a couple of weeks ago when United dropped points against Everton and Lauren James was like, come on, you blues. Like, everyone's eyes are pretty much everywhere. And I feel like it helps with the competitiveness of the league. I feel like in terms of if someone else, like, if another team can come into the discussion, it's tough because... If you'd have asked, like, last year, people probably thought United wouldn't have been in this discussion either. 
and that happened. So I guess they could, but it would take a lot more. I feel like the current structure of the WSL almost works as though... So, like, for example, if someone has a really good season this season at Aston Villa, you would then expect, or if you look at previous things that have happened, you would then expect someone in the top four teams to then buy that person that has had a really good season in Aston Villa. And then the problem is that the cycle just continues and then it almost works as, like, a monopoly. And I feel like that's been the major issue with like other teams progressing in the WSL. I think if clubs can actually retain their players, then we can see like more teams climbing up the tables. Like we've seen with Aston Villa, they're almost taking the kind of plan that United had a couple of seasons ago, which is that, okay, we'll take people that are out of favour at the clubs above us and then we'll sort of build from there. The problem is though, that's it's not a sustainable method in the sense that if those clubs above you then start buying players that are better than the people that they're letting go, then the gap will obviously still be there. But I guess it depends on if other, like if youngsters can start coming through as well. I feel like there's other factors that need to be considered. I think it's on the clubs as well. They need to buck up and invest more. You know, the the top four have shown the way. They're investing heavily. They're progressing season on season. Yes, Aston Villa have done well in the transfer market, but what is their ceiling as a club? We don't know. So I think it's on those clubs now, the Everton's, Villas, Tottenham's of the world, if they survive in the division, to go, we need to give more to this game. It's no good just like sort of sitting on our, uh, resting on our laurels, as it were, and just accepting that we're going to be mid-table every season. They have the finances, we all know they do. So to give more investment to their women's side, they need to buck up and, and sort of follow the top four into making this league even better than it already is. Well, there's a warning sign, isn't there, in Everton um, from a couple of seasons back? Was it last season even? Like, it all blurs into one with COVID, distorting time. Um, but the season where Willie Kirk got sacked, where they signed nine players, everyone thought that they were going to be the ones to threaten the top three and upend things a little bit. And then it completely fell away. Willie Kirk was gone. They, you know, slipped. And like I think the warning sign there was they signed a whole load of players to try and compete, but that disrupted the momentum that the team had. But you sort of, you have to up the quality of the players within your team. And that's a really difficult position that any of those teams have, is they've got to improve the quality of the players whilst also retaining quality when you're not fighting at the top. So you've got that problem that Moyo mentioned earlier, where a player does particularly well at a team, you know, a sort of mid-table, top-end mid-table team like that and then gets poached by somewhere else. You you need to retain those players and then add more. And you've got to try and ideologically convince them that you are, like, when you sign them, you're not necessarily going to be competing, but three years down the line you might be. That's the aim. You've got to stay around for it kind of thing. That's a really hard conversation to have. And the, the bonus that Man United had is that they had a load of players who were Man United fans going back to the club to play for it. You know, Alessia Russo, Ella Toon, like Katie Zellum, you know, fans of Man United wanting to play for them, wanting to stay there, wanting to build a legacy there. That meant that they weren't necessarily seeing their best players poached at a time where they really needed to start upping the quality level. And then obviously the Man United brand name helped too. So that's the biggest issue for me is like, how do you upgrade your squad to be able to compete with those whilst managing the disruption that that causes and then 
if it doesn't quite because it that takes time you can't sort of do it wholesale as Everton's shown how do you then keep the players that you recruited that year to have a go at it on the promise that it's it's not necessarily going to happen this season it's going to be a season or two down the line that we've got the turnover over a couple of windows to be able to upgrade the squad wholesale invest in longer contracts tie them down yep there's a raft of of measures that could be brought in. I think the problem you've all summed up absolutely perfectly is is investment, isn't it? That you have to actually make that jump and have a strategy that is more than just one season or, or two seasons. Um, brilliant question, Jim. You know, I'm sure we're going to have more interesting topics on that going down the line, especially with um, with the new co being formed. There was a two 0 win for Aston Villa over Everton. Speaking of both those teams, Kenza Dalian and Megan Finnegan own goal. Just a quick one on this Moyo. Perhaps the difference between these two sides at the minute is the experience of of Villa players who can find the back of the net and, and Everton just don't have that confidence. Yeah. Before that game, I was like, yeah, that, that game's the battle of the fifths, to be honest. Like, both of those teams could end up fifth. They're both sort of battling to be the best of the rest, essentially. But yeah, I felt like what you said was right there, to be honest. I feel like the difference was the midfield. Because Everton actually had a lot of chances in the game. Like, they had shots on goal. They had chances that were created. I just felt like Villa were more clinical. And the drive of the team came from the midfield, which is where their experience is. And also, Kenta Daly's been fantastic this season. Really, really good this season. I feel like sometimes, like, people say, oh, okay, yeah, this move has worked or this move hasn't worked. But she actually has gone up another level. Like, she was good before, but she's looking really good right now. She looks like she could play in, in a team higher up, but that's that's the problem. That's that's the problem right now. But yeah, Villa looked really good. Their midfield brings a lot of balance to the team. I feel like the versatility they have in midfield in the sense of like Jordan Nobbs can play multiple positions. Lucy Stanforth can play multiple positions. Kenza Dali can play multiple positions. I feel like it helps them in terms of the opposition not quite knowing who to pick up and where. And I feel like that ends up being a turning point in the game. Sophie, you were on hand for Reading's 2-1 win over West Ham. Does anyone score as many ridiculously good goals as Rachel Rowe and Reading? How did this one play out? I mean, it's just what she does, isn't it? You know, actually, West Ham were the best team in the first half and uh, Reading were lacking in sort of energy. They were just about doing enough to stay in it. Grace Maloney was superb in goal. Um, she made three big stops in that first half to kind of keep it level at halftime. And then whatever Kelly Chambers said to them at the break, worked absolute miracle they came out they were full of energy they tweaked a few things tactically um they were finding the spaces and they just came at west ham and you just felt that they were just gathering momentum with every single minute that was going by and then they took the lead um through charlie wellings and west ham came back into it and you were like oh it could be a bit rocky but rachel rowe she just does what she does she was running into the box all of the second half she just has an engine that just doesn't stop and um, she epitomises that Reading team. I think she's in her eighth season there. She is a sort of Reading OG, as it were, and someone that Kelly Chambers can really rely on in games to pick it up sort of by the, the neck and sort of go with it. So for me, they, they've got momentum. Yes, they've got Arsenal this weekend. That will be a free hit. The most important thing, they got a point or three points out of this game. Arsenal at the weekend will be a free hit. And then I think they've got Leicester and maybe Tottenham. After that, which are the two big games that, you know, they need to get points from. And if they can get, you know, six points out of those two games, I think they're they're safe. Yeah, real key part of the season for Kelly Chambers' side. Um, 
Let's look at Brighton because the managerial merry-go-round, as the cliche says in the WSL, continues. Brighton parted ways with manager Jens Schuer. Less than two months, six games. He came from Bayern Munich, but just picked up one point in his last three WSL games, left by mutual consent. Amy Merricks is back in interim charge and, of course, Brighton head to Chelsea on Wednesday night. It, it kind of came a bit left field, didn't it, Susie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dropping it late into the evening as well. Not the friend of the journalists, let's say. <laughs> the late press release. Um, no, uh, really bizarre situation. I mean, you know, reports that, um, that, you know, there were concerns over his management style and how forthright he was and things like that. And and clearly there's been problems uh, behind the scenes there that they've dealt with, which is, you know, if there are serious concerns about the way a manager is handling themselves, then, you know, ha- dealing with that quickly is potentially a good thing. But yeah, I mean, it also speaks to the recruitment process in the first place, how much due diligence was done. Um, He was their top candidate when they were recruiting following Coke Powell's departure. So how how much due diligence was done in in that hiring? And I think that's a question that we don't ask enough um, in women's football, generally speaking, particularly when it comes to coaching hires. But yeah, I mean, it's strange. But again, like they've gone through a lot of disruption already this season um a little bit more if uh, if they're having trouble with uh, a manager um in the way that it's suggested uh then it, it's probably best to deal with it and amy americks has already stepped into the breach once we know she can do that we know she has the ability to step up and and give it a go and i think it's good to see someone like her get a chance um it's a nasty situation to have to take over a club in i mean it's like throwing on a 17 year old in a cup final you losing like six nil or something with four minutes to play and you know giving them the worst uh the worst kind of like start to their their life in uh in a in a new position and a new job but you know if it's what needed to be done it's what needed to be done but yeah very surprising you know someone who came into the role with quite a strong cv but maybe not the due diligence that should have been done yeah, Sophie, we've seen a couple of managers from big European clubs struggle in the WSL. Jean-Luc Vasseur had a short stay at Everton last season. Now Schuer as well. What? Why can't they get up to speed? What's the problem? I was just going to say that Jean-Luc Vasseur was another one where I think the club didn't do their due diligence around him as a manager because, yes, he came in with a, a title-winning CV from Lyon. But actually, I think there had been a fair amount of whisperings around Europe about his style of coaching maybe or the or the way that he yeah how he manages and it not always being all that great and I think the same was of yeah and sure so while it was a surprise in the manner that it happened I'm not so surprised that it eventually did happen I just it's in that time frame that's just the, the shock I think for me give it to Amy Merricks as Susie said just give it to her you know she knows the club she knows the players she's part of that whole like foundation of what Hope Powell built there give her a chance you know if she keeps them up she's a miracle worker if they go down well it's not really her fault is it so just give her a shot and see what she can do because in the three games or whatever she had in charge they look really a lot more compact than what they have done the rest of the season and a lot more together um so just give her a shot Right, a quick uh, championship round up to finish us off. Uh, Bristol City's 3-0 win over Crystal Palace 
Saw them go six points clear at the top of the league as London City Lionesses lost 2-1 to Sheffield United. Two goals from Manchester United, Loney, Grace Clinton have helped Bristol firmly take control of that promotion push. Elsewhere, Charlton beat Southampton 1-0, whilst Birmingham City came from a goal down to beat Blackburn Rovers 2-1. Blackburn now without a win in six matches uh, and Lewis beat Sunderland 2-0 and Durham thrashed Coventry. Five different goal scorers for Durham in this one. 5-1 that finished. Right. See you later, Moyo. Nice to see you as always. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 7-0. 7-0. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Low blow. Sophie, take care. See you soon. Thanks for having me. Susie Rack, see you soon. Always a pleasure. Don't forget, we do have that email address for you to get in touch with us. So please get your questions in. We are here every week as the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. We'll be back next week for the top of the table clash between Chelsea and Manchester United. You can email us on womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmed. This is The Guardian. 